Amen. Good morning. That was fun, guys. And you, you pulled a little switch on us. So Adam's usually on guitar and Catherine's been on keys, so they, they reversed it. That was good. Um, I want to say a big good morning. You guys can talk back to me, by the way. Um, we are in the middle of an Exodus series, so my next passage is Exodus 21, I think. Really interesting passage. Um, but what we have happening over the next, um, between now and I guess January, is every one of our overseers is going to come in and preach. Yeah? So today, uh, really interesting, one of our overseers is my dad, Steve Mattis, and he is... He is sharing with us today, and uh, you, you know, if I could say anything about him, here it is. You have no idea what it's like to grow up under a man whose primary message is grace. Come on up here and share with us. Yeah, amen. See, many of us have grown up with the deception that somehow um, life is dependent upon us. And we've grown up with the misinformation that somehow um, what I do is primarily what affects who I am. And if that's your perspective this morning, I can guarantee you that you are frustrated and bored and misinformed about the central truth of the gospel. Um, so what is it like to be raised under the ministry of grace? Well, that's really what all of us have been called to, the ministry um, of grace. It's the ministry of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. Uh, so, Lord, um, would you take uh, our time this morning and would you gather us unto yourself, somewhat like that hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and would you enable us to come to grips with the radical nature of your grace and your love for each of us. And I ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. 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 <clears throat> well, good morning. Good morning. Um, and for those of you who are listening online, good morning to you as well. Uh, Pastor Michael has been uh, teaching us and leading us through the book of Exodus. If you've been with us for any amount of time, you'll remember a number of things that he said, and I'll just sort of summarize a couple of them for you. Um, the story of Jesus is really the story of a cosmic exodus uh, that happens uh, from the Garden of Eden uh, to what is, will be called the New Jerusalem. But more accurately, it's a story that begins with those people outside of the Garden of Eden. Because of the fall, they were banished from the intimate presence of God. 
And because of their uh, sin and their shame and their rebellion, etc., God enacted um, a mission of redeeming them and drawing them back to himself. Uh, so um, this morning I want to share some of the rich uh, comparisons between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And I'm doing that primarily because Michael has been showing us um, just how we see Jesus in the midst of the Old. Uh, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is sort of like a rosebud, if you will. And as that bud uh, opens and comes into fruition, you begin to see the full flower, if you will, of God's grace and mercy and His love in the New Testament. Um, for in the Old Testament, we see prefigured and, if you will, foreshadowed again and again uh, this Jesus who was to come. And um, you, you remember, Pastor Michael said, Jesus was alive before he was born. <laughs> and that really stuck with me because uh, Jesus really was alive before he was born. Before he took on human form of flesh and blood in the person that we know of Jesus of Nazareth, he was with the Father and with the Holy Spirit in an intimate relationship. And um, we saw then how God takes a nobody and makes them into a somebody. Moses was a nobody and he spent 40 years of his life just, anybody relate to that besides me? I mean, that's who each one of us are. And see, God is about redeeming us out of our nobodiness, is that a word, into becoming somebody, not because of who we are, but because of what he then has done for us. Um, we saw prefigured in the blood of the lamb, the blood on the doorpost and the lintels into which the children of Israel were um, asked to come in and to shut themselves up so that the death angel would pass over them. And that Passover then has become one of the chief uh, metaphors, if you will, of the new covenant where the blood of Jesus is sufficient and we run into him and find ourselves totally delivered from all of that death and all of that uh, self-centeredness that is part of who we are. The blood of the lamb uh, then, the Passover lamb, uh, is now our Passover lamb, who is Jesus. We saw Jesus in the manna. Remember the children of Israel now out of Egypt, walking around in the desert, and they became hungry, and they began to grumble, and God sent them manna. And if you will, prefigured in that, or uh, foreshadowed in that, is Jesus who came to feed us, who is, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me and eats my flesh, will never die. We saw Moses taking his staff and striking the rock. God told him to strike the rock because they were thirsty. And out of the rock then gushed this water. And again, we see Jesus, uh, who is the living water. He says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, much like that water that flowed out of that rock in the wilderness. Uh, we saw that Jesus is this 
living water as he promised the Holy Spirit to live in it. Well, Pastor Michael looked at um, Exodus chapter 20 last week, and I understand he's going to move into chapter 21 uh, tomorrow. But take your Bibles, if you will, and I want to read a text that he actually alluded to. Uh, you can scroll if you have your... When I'm here, normally I scroll, and this morning I brought my uh, paper scriptures, and I want to begin to read at verse 4 of um, Exodus chapter 19. So it begins in verse 4 of chapter 19, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. The, the Egyptians didn't fare well uh, as they bid farewell <laughs> to the Israelites. Um, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then... Uh, you will be unto me a special treasure, uh, and above all, above all the people on the earth, uh, you will be a special uh, people um, to me, and you will be um, kings, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then if you slide down to verse 8, then all of the people answered together and said with one voice, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people uh, to the Lord. Well, if you um, know anything about the history of Israel and the history of Judah, uh, they didn't fare so well in obeying all that the Lord had commanded them. In fact, it was um, as history unfolded, you will remember that Judah was hauled off into captivity uh, because of their inability and unwillingness to keep everything that the Lord had said. And the northern tribes, Israel, were likewise hauled into captivity. So they lived in uh, bondage and captivity until the Lord um, moved in such a way to release them again uh, from their bondage. Aren't you glad that the Lord releases us from what we are bound to again and again and again and again and again and again? <laughs> Because that is who he is. As we sang that last song, he is faithful. Um, so this morning, I want to... Uh, the, the danger that we have in finding Jesus uh, in almost every text of the Old Testament is that we can begin to somehow assume as time unfolds and you and I come to Jesus... We can somehow assume, because the Old Testament is so replete with foreshadowings of who Jesus is and what he would do for us, that we begin to sort of assimilate who we are as new covenant people, and we make a hybrid out of the old and the new. You know what I mean? In other words, we come to, the, to Jesus, and he makes us completely new, and then somehow we add into it, well, I'm completely new, and therefore I must keep all of that that's in the Old Testament, all of that Old Covenant. So uh, this morning I want to uh, begin with looking at this Old Covenant and the law and sort of define what it is and what its purpose was. And the first thing is that the law um, was given as a measuring device. Um, in Romans 7, 
uh, verse 7, you can uh, read about that. This measuring device, I was going to bring a tape and I didn't, just forgot it. But a, a, a tape measure uh, actually can show you the reality of so many inches or so many feet. And the point is that the law does that for us and it defines what is sin for us. Without it, uh, Paul said, we'll see here in a minute, I didn't know what sin was. So the law was giving as, as a measuring device. Secondly, uh, the law reveals something about the nature of God. Uh, if you look at Romans 7 verse 12, it says that the law is holy and just and good. And if there is a set of laws, it suggests that there is behind those laws a lawgiver who gave them. For example, if I'm wearing a watch or if you're wearing a watch, if I'm wearing a watch, it suggests that there was someone who made the watch. That's sort of the argument for existence, the existence of God and the existence of all nature, in fact. And the giving of the law, and Paul says uh, in uh, Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 12, that the law was holy, just, and good because God is holy and just and good. Now bear with me a minute because we're going to look at the nature of this law and how it actually contrasts to the new. Um, the law brings us uh, thirdly, uh, to the knowledge of sin. Without it, Paul said, oh, I didn't know what sin was. Romans 3, verse 20. By the law is the knowledge of sin. So without the law, uh, you and I are just left to do whatever we want. There's no measurement. There's no way to determine what I do, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Uh, so the law was given um, as uh, to bring us into the knowledge of what sin is. Now, this thing about the law is that it demands perfection. Um, it demands 100%. And I'll reference for you James chapter 2, uh, verse 10, where the writer of James says that if you break one law, you're guilty of breaking all of them. How many of you know that's bad news? Because you can be a 99 percenter in most thing and things, and you think you're pretty good. And in fact, you would be. But James says if you keep 99% of the law and break 1% of it, you're guilty of all of it. And everybody said, boo, that's bad. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, that is your plight. And that is mine. Because the law is good and holy and just. And the fact is, because of what happened in that garden, uh, we uh, partook of uh, that nature of sin. So, the law brings us uh, into uh, the knowledge of sin, the law demands perfection, and then the law holds the entire world guilty. That's what I just said. Romans 3.19 says, he does that so that every mouth would be stopped. But I'm a 99 percenter. Shut up. I keep most of the law. Be quiet. You see, the holy righteous standard of God that demands 100 percent stops every mouth in reality to what God has called us to. So we are therefore guilty with all of the world. Uh, and then a couple more things. The law can never make us righteous. Again, Romans 3, chapter 20 says that it is by that by the works of the law, that means by asserting your effort, 
to keep all of the law, no flesh will be justified. Justified means, well, just as if I'd never sinned. It means righteous. By the works of the law, by what you and I do, by trying to be good and better, it will never bring you into a place of being righteous before God. So in Galatians chapter uh, 3, Paul tells us that the law is therefore your tutor. Uh, the, the law is therefore your teacher to teach you something. What is the law teaching us? That A, you could never do it in your own power and steam and resources. It was our tutor in order, Paul says, to lead us to something grander, something better. And that is to lead us to Jesus. Uh, the covenant, uh, the one who keeps all of the covenant, who keeps all of the law. Um, and then finally, the law is primarily for unbelievers. Did you realize that? Now, that's where some of us, we just believe that somehow we come to Jesus and now we've got to keep all the law. No, 1 Timothy 1.9 says, um, it is not for the righteous. The law is not for the righteous, but it's for the unrighteous. You see, we just read that the law is a teacher and a tutor. It's to lead us to Jesus and show us that you can't. Well, before you became a believer in Jesus, you were one of those people that the law was for. It actually showed you that you couldn't do it and that someone is going to step in now and do for you what you could never do for yourself. So because of our uh, human failure uh, and the inability to keep the law, the law then plunges us into what I call the cycle of the flesh. And we all got it. That is, a flesh. Um, and this cycle of the flesh starts with sin, and from sin... Uh, there's guilt, and after guilt, there's shame, and then after shame, there's the fear of punishment. Sin, guilt, shame, fear. You see it in the garden. When Adam and Eve first sinned, the first thing they did, they felt guilty, and they felt shame, and they covered themselves and hid in the bushes when God came to seek them out. And Finally, because of that fear that he was going to punish them. Uh, guilt, uh, sin, guilt, shame, and punishment. Now, Galatians says that when the fullness of time came, having understood some of what I have just tried to articulate with very broad brush strokes, that I can't, I never could, I'm only going to fail at keeping the law. It demands 100%. Um, knowing all of that, Paul says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son onto uh, the platform of human existence steps the man, Christ Jesus. Uh, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son who was born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law and to then adopt us as his sons and his daughters. Thank God that in stepped Jesus into the arena of our failure and our foibles, our sin and our nature. Thank God that in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, 
born of a woman under the law to redeem us uh, from the law and to adopt us as his sons. Now, what we're getting at at this juncture is that the great sort of um, fulcrum, the balancing point, the place of demarcation from the bad news of the old, Israel couldn't keep the law, they went into captivity, you couldn't keep the law, you never could, weren't supposed to, into that uh, reality, then in the fullness of time steps in Jesus and God promises um, a new covenant. And that's where we're going now. The old covenant uh, is old for a lot of reasons, and the new is new for a whole lot of reasons too, and they're really good. So let me read with you um, in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, if you want to look along with me. If you prefer the Old Testament text uh, that is being quoted there, you'll find it in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Um, so God had a better idea. He says this, In the day, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Can you say that with me? New covenant. With the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and they turned away from them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, But this is the covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put their laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, relationship, and they will be my people. And here is the essence of the new covenant and I will forgive all of their wickedness and remember their sins no more hallelujah. hallelujah is right you see the fact of the matter is the new covenant is really new because it's really different God will forgive and he will forget you've heard that God will forgive and forget you say oh, where, where is that found it's found in these words in Hebrews and also in Jeremiah 31 I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. I will forgive and I will forget all of their wickedness. You see, let's go back up and look at a couple of words in this section in Hebrews chapter 8. Um, what is the new covenant? Well, you can learn a lot by the study of um, books of Scripture, sort of the macro view. And you can learn a lot by studying the individual grammar of a specific text and even the meaning of a word. Uh, so if you look at this word, um, I will make with them a new covenant. The word new there, there are two uh, Greek uh, words that reflect the Hebrew words that are written in Jeremiah. Uh, and I'll use the Greek version. The first word is neos. Now, that is the word that's not used about the new covenant. It means new, uh, but it means, um, it, it means related to time. It's a cleaned-up version of the old. Now, I, I broke out my boots here this morning to wear them, and um, 
they were a little scuffed, so I put some oil on them like I always do. So I, I dressed them up a little bit, cleaned them up a little bit, but they're still my old boots. But they're, but they're newer looking. That's what neos actually means. But that's not the word translated new in the new covenant. The, the word translated new in the new covenant is not neos, but it's kainos. Now, kainos is a different creature. It means that it's radically different. It's totally removed from. It would be as if I got out my old boots and came up with some uh, sparkling silver ones, you know, like someone <laughs> would wear, a rock star would wear. Totally different, totally new, absolutely stunningly marvelous, marvelously different. I will make with you a kainos covenant, a radically different covenant. You see, this new covenant is absolutely and completely different. And it will not be like the covenant that I made with the people when I brought them out of Egypt. Not a covenant based on your effort or your works or keeping the law. Uh, but in fact, um, it will be based upon what another did for you in keeping the law uh, with you. I will not make a covenant with you like your ancestors, like I made with your ancestors. This is the covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel. I will establish a new, completely different, radically different covenant, and I will establish it by grace. It is not by works. It is by grace. Now, when we, you know, read in um, Exodus chapter 19, if you will obey, then... I will. Now, that's important to understand. The old covenant is based upon if you keep, if you obey my voice, if you do something, then you will be my treasured people. And that is totally unlike what's happening in the radically different covenant. It is not based upon what you do. It is based upon what Jesus has done for you. And that, my friend, is a very different reality from the old. I will write these laws on your heart, and I will be their God, and you will be my people. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This new covenant sets us in relationship with God in a fundamentally different way. Not based upon if, then, but based upon what another did for you. And that is the person of Jesus. Uh, so, so let's look, if that is true, and I would submit to you that all that I have said is true, um, that I want to look at what happened then to the law. What what. what what about this law? I mean, it's still hanging out. We read about it last week, the ten words, the decalogue, the ten law words that went forth. Well, the first thing is that the law was changed. You say, oh, now wait a minute. Show me that. Okay, glad you asked. When God appointed Jesus as a priest, God changed the law in order to do that. No, okay, give me a little reference for that. Uh, let's look at... Um, 
Hebrews 7, verse 12. I'll let you read it, and I'll just quote a little section of it. Now, according to the law, all priests were to come from the tribe of Levi, and they were all to be directly uh, descended from Aaron. Now, when Jesus came and became your high priest, God changed the law. Um, Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah, like a lion. In Hebrews 7.12, it says, For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change in the law. Now, if you are guilty of all the law by not keeping one, if God changed one, he changed them all. You see, the law is absolutely, has absolutely been changed because you and I have a new high priest. After the life of this cat called Melchizedek, you can read about, he had neither beginning nor end. And guess what? Jesus was alive before he was born. He, he had neither beginning or end. He is, and that is the one who made covenant with us and caused us to be able to keep his covenant because he fulfilled it all. Secondly, the law was changed, and the law is now completely fulfilled. So the law was changed, but you remember uh, Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Do you think he fulfilled it? He fulfilled it. You see, Jesus fulfilled all of our obligation to the law. Oh, come on. Somebody say, I am so glad about that. Jesus paid it all. Jesus changed it all. Jesus fulfilled it all, and uh, uh, he fulfilled what you could never fulfill. Jesus stepped into the matrix of the law as the perfect law keeper and took your place so that you don't have to keep it because, A, God changed it, and B, God fulfilled it all in him. Now, I want to I see if I can find real fast uh, Romans uh, chapter, I don't know what it is, let's see. Romans chapter 13, I think, maybe there. I want to look at this with you for just a minute. Verse 8. It says, uh, Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, it's, you're not fulfilling the law by loving other people, but that is the result of the law having been fulfilled. You're enabled to love. Why? Because love has been poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit who has been given to you, Romans 5. Uh, so, for the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, um, they are summed up by this saying, love your neighbor as yourself. See, love does no harm to its neighbor. Uh, so what you see here is that the law has actually been completely changed and completely fulfilled by what Jesus did. Now, the third thing I want to mention about the law is that because it's been changed, because it's been fulfilled, it's completely obsolete. <laughs> Really? Everybody say obsolete. 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 Now, what does obsolete mean? If there's a, 
an airplane that has been flying and it's gotten old and it's having, you know, getting a little loose in the joints, they will park it and it will become obsolete, non-functional. It no longer works. You see, the law was not just changed, it was not just fulfilled, but it was made obsolete. Hebrews um, 8, uh, 13. Um, in saying the new covenant, God has made the first covenant obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete, as Jesus came and went to the cross, it was becoming obsolete and is ready to vanish away. When Jesus stepped into the platform, into life, and gave his life for us, he fulfilled the law, he changed the law, and he made the law obsolete by what he has done. Changed, fulfilled, obsolete. But it gets even better. <laughs> the last one is that the law uh, now uh, came to a complete end. That's sort of redundant with obsolete, no longer functional, but it came to a complete end concerning how one is made righteous. In Romans chapter 10, verse 4, it says that Jesus is the end of the law concerning how one is made righteous for everyone who believes. You see, how am I made righteous? Can I work myself? Can I do everything? Can I keep all the laws? Well, the reality is, no, you can't. But the fact is, Jesus can. He's the only one who could. And he came to uh, end the law, to change it, fulfill it, make it obsolete, and bring it to its conclusion. So in Galatians 5, 4, uh, you have become estranged from Christ if you now are embracing the hybrid, embrace it, trying to be justified by the law. You see, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus trying harder. It's not Jesus plus, oh, don't look at that. And if you do, if you, you, you sin, you tarry too long, you enjoy that thing, it will produce guilt and shame and fear, and that will demonstrate you're locked into the hybrid. It's Jesus plus what I do. No, it's simply what Jesus did, and you simply come back to the man Christ Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you that you paid it all for me. Thank you that I am in a, a new covenant, that you changed the old one, that I can't measure up. Why should I be so surprised that I fall into sin, that I trip into sin, or if I choose sin? I have a friend, Scott Hahn, that I went to seminary with, and he posts on Facebook all the time, and he says, my sin nor my stupidity can keep God's love from me. Do you know that's the truth? That it's not your sin, and it's not how, if you will allow me, stupid we are at times. It, it, God's love is so much bigger than most of us can understand. That, that God from eternity past has determined that this is the way I will teach my people to love me once they realize, like Moses, that they're nobodies. 
that I will bring them into relationship not based upon what they do, but based upon what I did for them. Jesus plus nothing is the new covenant. Well, the entire law then is fulfilled in a word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. Now, we've been given a new covenant. It is a new covenant given to us by grace, um, not by the works of the law. Grace simply means a gift. Can you imagine? I was going to bring a big box and wrapping paper and a big bow. But if you could imagine that, and God says to each one of us, here it is, this is for you. And then he'd take another one, this one's for you. And, this, and we all receive this amazing, bright, sparkly package. That would be a gift. You didn't deserve it. You didn't even know it was coming. But God knew that you needed it, and he brought it to each one of us. We've been given a new covenant, which is by grace, not by works, through what Jesus did on the cross and simply believing God in what he has provided. So let me end this plane by saying this, a couple things. Um, we have been given a new covenant, therefore uh, we are children of the new covenant, not of the old. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. See, I'm so glad I'm not a child of the old covenant because I fail miserably. I fail miserably even today. You know, I, it's just I'm so glad Jesus is on my side, that he paid the price. Um, and, and secondly, not only have you been given a new covenant, but we are a new creation. The scripture says that we are a new creation. We have been born from above by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who now lives in us. And the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, come on, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. What's passed away in your life? All of the old law. All of your old inability to keep the law. Even your old person has passed away. That's my third thing. A new covenant, we're a new creation, and we've been given a new nature. Now, I know some of you do not believe it, that you have a new nature. Or somehow you have a new nature, the white dog, and the old nature, the black dog. That, does not, that is not what the scripture teaches. That you're in this, no, you have a new nature and yet you can still sin as being children of the covenant, uh, children of, who are a new creation and children who have a new nature. Uh, first, uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, it says that you now are holy, blameless, and above reproach. I loved it last week when Pastor Michael talked about the exchange life. It means you just take all of your old stuff, you fill in the blank, all of who you are in your old, and you give it to Jesus, and you take all that Jesus is and take it for yourself. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who now lives in me. And this life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. New covenant, new creation, new nature. We've been called by a new name. 
and only you know what that new name is. Now, I don't know what new name you have been given. I'm referencing Revelation 2.17. They were given a new name written on white stones. What does that mean? I'm not sure exactly. But what I think it means is that God begins to press into us by the Spirit and by the new birth, by the life of Jesus now living in us by the Spirit. He begins to impress to you that you're a new person, that you have a new name. What's your new name? Mine has to do with grace. I don't know. That's all I got. And he's given us a new song. I love, Catherine, when you were singing this morning, Revelation 5, 9. He has given you a new song. Why do we worship? Because it's entertaining. Uh, because we come and we like to feel good. Because something's been so pressed into your heart God has given you not just a new name, not just a new creation, not just a new covenant. Uh, God has actually given you a new song. And it might sound stupid to your natural ears. But when you begin to sing out of the reservoir of that which is in you, sometimes along with the worship leaders, uh, but when you begin to release that new song in your heart, whether it's piano or organ or whether it's guitar or mandolin, you see, it's releasing the new song that Jesus has placed in your heart and something begins to happen. The transformation that is already yours is celebrated afresh in your life. New nature, new name, new song. We are therefore, uh, have been promised, finally, a new heaven and a new earth in which will dwell righteousness. Because you'll be there. And you're righteous, 2 Peter 3.13. So, who are you this morning? I mean, really. Um, the first thing is that you are children of the new covenant by the blood of Jesus. I am a child of the new covenant. And Pastor Michael has often said to you how when he gets up in the morning he makes declarations about who he is versus how he might feel about himself. These would be some declarations that you might want to begin uh, saying to yourself. I am a child of the new covenant by the blood of Jesus. Secondly, you are completely new. But I feel old. I had an argument with my wife. I kicked the cat. I said something stupid, did something ornery. I, you know, all that stuff. That's not who you are. You're able to do that, but that's not your nature. You are completely new by faith in what Christ alone has done for you by his blood. I am a child of the new covenant. I am completely new. And thirdly, I have a new nature because of Jesus, and I am holy and righteous and good. Because God's holy and righteous and good. And he took up residence in the likes of me and in the likes of you because of what Jesus did on your behalf. The fourth thing or declaration is that God has given us a new name. God, thank you that you named me in eternity. Thank you that I'm a new creation. That I'm completely new by your covenant. You have been given a new name. You have been given a new heart filled with a new song. Some of you need to begin to practice releasing your new song 
What do you mean? I don't know. <laughs> you need to define what that means. You see, it might just be you get in the shower and you go, oh, Lord, I just, you know, as this shower is now pouring over me and, you know, cleansing me with this soap and with the water, I just thank you that you've done that by the blood of Jesus. And I just want to declare your name and sing to you. And it might be a halabushanda. It might just be, Lord, I love you and I bless your name and I twirl under this water. It doesn't matter what it sounds like to other people. What matters is it comes out of that river, that flow inside your heart because God's given you a new name. He's given you a new heart and he's given you a new song. Find out what that song is and begin to sing it. You see, you are destined to live a new life by the presence and by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Now, if you have been living in some form of deception that somehow it's Jesus plus you measuring up and being good enough, I'm going to invite you this morning just to, just to come back to Jesus and confess, which means uh, agree with him about who you are. You don't have to grovel and beat yourself. He's already provided the one-time sacrifice for you. It's his blood. Ease up on yourself. Let him do what he said he would do. God, thank you that you've cleansed me from being stupid, from adding something to Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing. And I thank you for it, that you love me the way I am. Now, I promise you, that when you begin to do that and begin to really give yourself the grace that God wants you to have, you'll say something like, well, the old man is going to say, well, that, you're just, you're just going to go on being who you were. And I tell you that the, it's the goodness of God that leads you to turn back to him. It's the grace of God that breaks your heart and sets you free. You see, there is no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ who walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. You walk after the Spirit and love Jesus and just let Him do it, and you'll be a profoundly different person as you walk forward with Him. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, I want to thank You for giving us a time to be together, to sit under Your Word, to allow You to have Your work in each one of us, the full measure of your work in each one of us. Lord, if there are those here this morning or those who have joined us online who really know Jesus, but they're feeling all gunked up by their own sin and their own shame, in uh, their own guilt and in the, in the, in the fear. God, I pray that you would release them from the bondage of their ignorance. God, that you would release each one of us into the full notion that we are a priesthood of kings, that we are a chosen generation, that we are a royal priesthood. And you've given us that new song in order that we might declare uh, the 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 works, the glory of he who called us out of darkness into his own life and light. Maybe you need to do just a little bit of business with Jesus this morning. 
while Adam shares and just maybe even plays instrumentally, it doesn't matter. I just want you to take a few moments and ask God to search your heart. Do you know Him personally? Have you yielded to Him fully? What is the extent that you were leaning on your own understanding, leaning upon your own effort and work? Would you allow Jesus to draw you into his covenant of grace? might wonder, can it really be true that this God who made everything we see around us has actually done this thing called new covenant for you? And I would submit to you that it's absolutely true. You can't deserve it. You can't add anything to it. But it's yours for the receiving. Would you be blessed as you go forth today? Pastor Michael. <clears throat> so good. Such a clear, cogent, Old Testament, New Testament. Yes, Lord. Say with me, I am new. Amen. As you go today, go under the revelation that you're new. There's going to be a group of us here afterwards having a little next steps kind of lunch. If you'd like to hang out with us and find out more and get in the journey with us here at Saltbox, we'd love to have you. Everyone is invited. Uh, secondly, there is a group that is meeting after uh, church here today. Lunch is provided also for this group, but it's the group that's leading the middle school and high schoolers. In fact, Chantel, are you in the room? Wave at us. There's Chantel back there. She's leading up our middle school, high school ministry. So they're going to be gathering today. If you've never been involved with that, but you'd like to be, we'd love to have you join us. Let's pray out and we'll go. Lord Jesus, as we go from this place, I am gripped again by the revelation that it's not me, but it's you. And Father, there's almost this freedom in the room today <laughs> to exhale the old and to inhale the new. Father, I pray that there would be new freedom in our hearts, new freedom from the old, 
and that you, Lord Jesus, was, would wash into homes, to individuals, to marriages, to lives, to kids. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Go under the revelation that you're new. Amen. <laughs>